We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And Lakers have a game today, big game at the Chicago Bulls, who beat them pretty handily on Sunday. And the big news of the day is D'Angelo Russell has been upgraded to probable. So, Mike, what do we know about what's going on with D'Lo? And what are your thoughts on how he impacts the dynamic against the team that we just played? Well, this is the chance. This is the chance to show that, you know, that one game sample size, the one game against New Orleans that Pete famously watched six times, that <laughs> that told us something. Uh, and it's it's something about the skill set that he has, not just him, not really, but Vanderbilt and the way that those two can specifically play off of two superstar players uh, in the Brown Navy. And then Instead of having Beasley out there, uh, it's going to be Austin Reeves. I think that's what Darvin Ham said um, after the last game. I think you know coaches are always can always change their minds and surprise us in doing so. But I think that's what we end up seeing. And you know, going into super high leverage games, and this one being extremely important, we all know the context of the standings. We've done a million pods about it. Everybody's paying full attention to that. You know, can this team reach a different level on offense uh, because the defense? When Anthony Davis and Vanderbilt are on the floor has been really good for the most part. And AD gets the most credit for that. But, you know, can they really find a a rhythm? Can they find a way of playing? Can, you know, LeBron, all the stuff that he does, can that have a certain type of impact? And, you know, I'm going to be watching closely. And and then can they, like, if they're able to find it, can they carry that forward into an actual rhythm for a section of the season, which we haven't seen? But, you know, tonight, how quickly can they get it against a team that knows how to play together? Oh, the Bulls, the Chicago Bulls. I've got a friend of mine. I'm sure not too dissimilar from you, sort of grew up a Bulls fan because of Michael Jordan and everything else. A lot of people our age are Bulls fans that are not from Chicago because they were an awesome team. Exactly. So so my buddy Carl, what up, Seeley, hit me up in my text messages sending me pictures of Pat Bev doing oh, the tree yeah, small, talking shit. right? Yeah, 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 so yeah. it was one of those games. 
Oh, the Chicago Bulls. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this game for a variety of reasons. Hopefully so I could, you know, get some ribbing Fire in back. On, yeah. Listen, on a personal D, look, level. If, if Pat Bev says all the things that he said, goes on and doesn't add for Charmin, and then they sweep us in the two games, he can say whatever he wants for like a sure. whole year. You know, I sure. mean, you're going to do that anyway, but... <laughs> Yes. Well, yes. They, they could respond that you could have, you know, you could have done that a little bit more when you're playing for the Lakers, <laughs> you know, in, in a certain context. But yeah, you said he I, wanted to. Re- yeah, he, he, he wanted to knock us out. Of, mm-hmm. But it's so, like you're gonna own, you're gonna own the Lakers, but you know, didn't necessarily play your best basketball for the Lakers. Yeah, he That's said all. that he said that he, uh, you know, wants to help knock the Lakers out of the playoffs. And my thought is, you've already done so much. Yeah, he cause, did plenty you know? of that in the first three weeks of the season. <laughs> Anyways, and enough at Pat Bev's expense. I thought he was fine the other day. He was like plus three or four in the mm-hmm. game they won by a billion. So, so take that for what it's worth. Getting Russell back and having him play with LeBron, I am interested to see how this all comes together and how quickly it all comes together. Um by the time you guys hear this, my preview for Lakers.com should be up. And one of the things that I mentioned in that post is that the Lakers have been playing a lot slower over the last 15 games in mm. comparison to what they've been for the entire season. And so if you, Do you look think at that's their an season, AD-centric thing, I don't necessarily. I think it's missing LeBron. I think it's been Russell's in and out nature Mm-hmm. of the lineup and just the general sense of the Lakers like not being as good on the defensive glass and then not being able to like turn rebounding opportunities into transition chances. The Lakers already look like a different transition team with LeBron in the lineup. He had a couple of those pushouts and had that nice little dish to Troy Brown who got a dunk in transition. Russell is also another player who can hunt transition op- opportunities in his own way even though he's not a speedster so the lakers they're third for the season in pace and they led the league in pace for the longest time but now they're down to third but over their last 15 games or so i think they're like 14th or 17th they're down there and Mm -hmm. and they're under 100 possessions per game over their last 15 which is low for them for their season-long stats and not so coincidentally, their transition, their points in like their fast break points are down, their points in the paint are down. And these are all things that if you talk about what Lakers identity has been over That's the right. course of the season, those three things are all linked together. Them playing fast, them hunting paint opportunities and them being really monsters in transition and getting LeBron and D'Lo back. Pete, I think those two things combine to really elevate those numbers specifically. LeBron can elevate a team in just points in the paint and fast break points all by himself. But I think when you combine him with Russell, things can really jump off in that direction. And so the Bulls kick the Lakers butts in fast break points and in points off of turnovers and and points in the paint the last matchup and so I think this game is very important for the Lakers to flip that dynamic and for the Lakers to be the team that can score in the paint that can get out in 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 a transition a little bit more and and sort of boost their offense that way because for what Mike's saying like 
if they want to get the offense going, it can't just all be like, oh, well, let's produce better half court results like half court offense is going to have its limitations. That's a great point. And it's not one that has been in the center of my focus. So I'm really glad you brought it up because those are easy buckets, right? Those transition plays where Mike had just an insane stat about LeBron earlier in the season on his cutting, which is kind of a similar operating off of the ball um, that I think the LeBron and D'Lo combo is exciting in that respect too, because both of them can operate off of the ball off of each other in different ways. Um, But just getting a few more of those easy points, I think is going to, going to be super helpful, but also reducing the Bulls easy points via, I think just handling the ball better. That's the thing I'm really excited about having D'Lo back against the Bulls is they've got three guys that are really good at pressuring the ball between Alex, Bev, and Aodosunmu. And when you're without your two ball handlers or one of them's just getting back into, into the game, like that can be a real weakness, right? You can not even get into your offensive sets. And then what does that turn into? A live ball turnover. It's a two on one. Those are fast break points, points off of turnovers, all these stats that we were at a big deficit on. And so that's one thing I'm really excited about seeing D'Lo hopefully back tonight is that I think it puts our ball handling in a more, in a place where we make fewer pick six type mistakes to steal a football term. Cause we've been giving up a lot of those type of points, Mike. Yeah, so something that's interesting to me this year, Chicago has actually only given up the, I think, the fourth fewest um, opponent points in the paint. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've got – so Vucevic is not a rim protector and is not a particularly good defender. And they didn't have – you know, they didn't have Lonzo early in the season and they didn't have Beverly until recently. So, you know, I don't think of Levine and DeRozan, uh, even if Caruso is out there as the best sort of keep you out of the paint type guys. So – that's it's interesting. It's interesting to me that they rank higher there because that to me is where if you've got LeBron and AD, that's kind of the vulnerability, or at least it should be going into a matchup like this. And I do think that changes some with their ball pressure. But I want to basically kick that back to you and having watched what they did last game defensively and think, well, how if LeBron really gets in his mind to get downhill more and if AD gets more touches and gets in more, shouldn't the Lakers be able to um, to expose that more? And then I'm saying expose, but they've been pretty the Chicago has been pretty good defensively in the paint. I think the place to do that is LeBron in the post, Mike. That was something that was uh, effective in the last game as well. And that's a different way of getting penetration when we talk about getting downhill. In some some ways, you can just throw the ball to LeBron, who's being guarded by Alex Caruso, who we all love defensively, but just he's not able to guard a guy like LeBron in the post. And so rather than beating a guy like him with speed, right? Like Alex is in a a much better place if they're squared up and LeBron's starting a drive from beyond the perimeter. Alex can slide his feet and beat LeBron to the spot to do that. But in the post in particular, LeBron has a physicality where he, when he gets those small guys, you were talking about this on the last pod, D, where against the Dallas, in the Dallas game, uh, the one that he got injured in, where LeBron is capable of just spamming, I'm going to go right to the basket and it's sort of like watching a dad play against his kids sometimes yeah. and the, the competitive dad that's down you know 10-7 in a game of ones and twos to 11 it's like oh well I'm just gonna back you down and make layups and go to the free throw line type of thing and so that to me is uh is the place to be able to puncture a defense that while I totally agree with you Mike that that's not the personnel that you would expect to keep people out of the paint if you have a full team commitment to like we are going to take the paint away we will allow jump shots 
that's fine, but we're going to make sure that you cannot beat us in this way. That is something that a team can do, even if they don't have the greatest personnel to do it, if you really commit to just taking one thing away. And so you can beat that D either by taking the thing that they're giving up, the, the threes, and doing that well, or puncturing it anyway. And I think that the way to do that is with LeBron's physicality in the post. Yeah, one of the things I was going to say to Mike's comment about the Bulls um, not allowing a lot of points in the paint, it's it's like teams don't shoot a lot there. Like they, they're they sort of middle of the pack for the season in terms of shots allowed in the restricted area, um, but they don't really allow a lot of shots in floater range. And this mm-hmm. is where like packing the paint and really trying to protect their big men um, in ways and having players that can really get over the top of screens, that's super helpful. And, and, and so one of the things that I'm interested in tonight um is that idea of how much do the guards how much do the guards actually try to be the group that is getting the ball into the paint versus trying to do it through entry passes right and this goes back to Pete's point about LeBron in the post is one of the reasons why I like posting LeBron is because it's easier to get him the ball there than it is oftentimes to get AD the ball there. Mm-hmm. AD has a higher sense center of gravity, and a lot of times you need to run action in order to get him to a spot on the floor where he's really going to dig in and get a post touch. But LeBron can just walk his guy down, down there, turn and stand, and it's hard to sort of get around him. There are a few guys in the league his size as strong as him. In fact, I would argue that there's no one his size that is like a six eight six nine dude who is actually as strong as him well and he's got impeccable technique like if he gets an advantage he knows exactly how to seal a guy and will do it with vigor you know yeah and so against the bulls too mike like in that starting group and this is where lebron didn't start the last game but he's gonna start this game i'm pretty sure and if chicago decides that they're gonna basically play three guards and a guy who started his career as a shooting guard in DeMar DeRozan as their one through four, one of those dudes is going to have to guard LeBron. Mm -hmm. And in the last game, one of those dudes got to guard, like instead got to guard a guard. And one of those guys wasn't even D'Angelo Russell. Mm -hmm. Right. And so one of the things that I'm interested in, in terms of LeBron's return is just the idea that he's going to absorb a harder defensive player like his defensive matchup is going to slot everyone else into a position where things are should be a little bit easier for them. Austin to me is the guy that benefits the most from getting guys off of him. You know, like that, that kind of has that, uh, that domino effect, Mike of, you know, somebody has got to guard LeBron and it's gotta be, gotta be an Alex or one of their best type of guys. And it will free, uh, free him up. And the same is true with Delo's return. So just looking at Sunday's game, the biggest difference of course, is that Russell comes back and that does, that does a lot of different things. And, and I'll, I want to get to that a little bit more, um, after the break, but the first thing is just, like that game went exactly how Billy Donovan would have wanted it to go. Uh, they Chicago outscored the Lakers in the paint. It was 50 to 46. The Lakers attempted five more threes than the Bulls, but the Bulls made one more three. The Bulls were 14 for 31 from, from three. That's not something that's likely going to happen again. Uh, it's it's just it's just not. It was especially because it was all their bench guys. You know, it was uh, like Desumu and Derek Jones Jr. were a collective four for six. That that right there is killer. That would be like you know Wenyan and. Um, Rui, right? If those two went four for six, it's a huge boost. 
um, for the Lakers off the bench, guys that don't typically do it. Beasley took 14 shots um, to lead the Lakers, and they were all threes. It, that's that's not to me a good thing for the Lakers. And the biggest thing, 18 to nine in the turnover difference. Darius wrote about this uh, in his mm. in his preview for Lakers.com. And so on the one hand, that's that got Chicago a bunch of easy shots. On the other, because the Bulls' turnovers were so low, that took away fast break opportunities for the Lakers. Uh, they only had four attempts in transition. Right, they made two of them. Like that. So it's just all of that math. Billy Donovan is sitting there looking at that box score thinking sweet. And oh, and by the way, the Lakers missed uh, nine free throws. Right. AD was three for six. And let's see. Wenyan split a pair. Who else missed? Yeah, the free throws have been killing me lately, Mike. Like we've been rough. Austin and Beasley both 0 for 1. You know, just like stuff, Mm -hmm. just dumb stuff like that. LeBron actually shot the free throws well um, in his return back. And I think that was that was one of the few things that LeBron could do the whole time uh, that he was rehabbing. It just sit at the free throw line and, and sure. take free throws. So all of that stuff favored Chicago. And if if this were a playoff series and there wasn't a game between the Bulls and the Clippers where the Bulls did not play well um, in between, I think you'd be sitting there thinking, okay, easy adjustments, right, for the Lakers. But this stuff's not going to happen the same game too. They're, they're going to be able to take it to them. It does have the difference of it being in Chicago's building. But like my basic thinking on this now is that if the Lakers can't adjust and don't make these types of things, then they're not that good. You know, like yeah. they, if they're if they're going to make a run, yeah, we should see it tonight. I love that, Mike. Like to me, this is the whole pre agency idea of these are high stakes games, and almost everybody's available. So you know, aside from Bamba, everybody knock on wood, Dilo plays tonight. But so this is going to reveal a lot of truth about the team, good or bad, in terms of how this season ends. But to me, like putting a special focus on these games, Darius, is going to inform not just this season, but our off season. A lot of truth is going to be revealed about what we actually are. 100%. So let's go to break here because that idea, I think, is the undercurrent of these last stretch of games and also should springboard the team forward in their mindset as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So one of the things I wanted to talk about is just this. We've lamented a ton of who hasn't been available, who has and has not played, who and how that very necessarily changes game plans and changes execution 
and changes sort of just the the small little intricacies of what we're focusing on on this game based off of who's available. I thought Austin spoke to this a little bit with LeBron's return and just sort of speaking to you play different when this dude is mm-hmm. in the lineup because there's just less touches around. You see that guy on the court and instead of dribbling it up yourself, you might just pass to him. Right. And that that is that's why I love flow sports like basketball and and soccer soccer and hockey, hockey because that one little pass in this direction, like the way that one individual talent sort of shifts the dynamic of the flow of the game Mm -hmm. puts you on this whole new road and whole whole new path for how a possession is going to unfold. And it's it's why stars are so valuable. And. And why, when they're really good, they can just propel your team to a whole nother level. So I use all that as a foundation to kick this part of of things off. There are no more excuses. If D'Lo's going to play and LeBron is going to play, even if LeBron is coming back and there's still work work to do there, and AD is going, going to play... I'm looking for what the shape of this team is going to be in terms of offensive focus, defensive focus, and what are our priorities as a team, speaking from an internal standpoint. Anthony Davis got eight shot attempts last game. Like, this has been a trend that has been too up and down for my liking, and I've expressed that a ton. But now LeBron's back. LeBron is going to start. Russell's back. Russell's going to start. These are all things that are like, okay, well, this is the team now, Pete. And if this is the team, what are we going to be? What are we trying to do? And how strident are we in those beliefs in order to execute those specific things in terms of what our values are as as a team? And if nothing else, wins, losses, whatever, this stretch of games, I think, is going to show us under some pressure situations what these players value and what the coaches value and what they're trying to get out of this specific group of players. And it starts this game against Chicago. So what are you looking for in terms of the reflection? Collective nature of what these games can reveal. So I, I think of the one time, the one time we did see this team, which was the game against the Pelicans, right? That I watched over and over again. And one of the things that really, uh, that really stood out to me is D'Lo's off ball work. And him in that game, that was one of the ones where he hit like a pull up left wing transition three to put us up like 12. And it, kind of escalated the game it it it, he was he was a big part of putting that game away he did that against the raptors as well but early on in that game we went up like 12 to 2 to start that game and delo impacted it in so many different ways as an off-ball worker and so that to me mike brought up early that we need to kind of we need to be more productive on offense in particular. And that's kind of the the riddle that the Lakers coaching staff is facing right now is how do we score more points? And I think D'Lo's off ball work and the ability to go off ball with LeBron on ball more, but also vice versa, uh, is something that that it makes this team. It takes this team to a completely different level. He hit a couple of threes now. And you should see this against Vucevic as well, because that game was Valanciunas at the five. And I call these guys drop fives, meaning that the one defensive 
coverage that they can run in the pick and roll really is a drop and kind of there are a couple different variations of drop but they're not somebody that can come out too high on the perimeter because they can't move their feet well enough and so what happens in like a LeBron and AD ball screen we spammed that to begin the Pelicans game and D'Lo was starting in the corner and then sliding up to the wing and if they tagged on AD as they well should have to they collapse into the paint oh well that's a wide open wing three for a D'Angelo for D'Angelo Russell who on quality looks is a really really good shooter I mean he's good at the hard ones too but there's a reason why he was the second pick in the draft and so it's a very like pick your poison trio between LeBron AD and D'Lo where okay the next play they close out to D'Lo a little more and now it flows into a side ball screen and all of a sudden it's a lob he goes baseline AD's hanging out at the elbow he dives to the rim and it's a lob to AD timeout Pelicans you know Lakers up 10 type of thing and so that to me, Mike, in the whole spirit of like, we need to be able to score more points. In a lot of ways, it's just the the personnel that we have. You guys talked a lot, a lot about LeBron yesterday, but I just want to want to make one simple LeBron point. You know, LeBron's just coming back and he's aware of what this part of the season is and he's aware of what I think the opportunity is. And I just think that he's going to play a certain way. I don't I don't think LeBron's going to come back in, in his second game and be trying to lose a second straight game uh, to the Bulls. And, you know, what that looks like, how he plays, I'm not sure. It's it's something that he's usually – he's always going to feel out what these new groups are. But there's got to be some point of this game where LeBron just says, no, 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 like, this is not – it's not going to go this way. I'm going to start to bully this Chicago Bulls team who does not have anybody that can keep me from doing that. And, and that – and stuff can happen off of that. So – I'm not I think Pete you're absolutely right in the way that the way that the Lakers should be able to run their offense and what D'Lo can do and what Reeves can do and how they can get the ball to Anthony Davis and all that but I I would also just love to see at some points of the game LeBron just push a couple of bulls out of the way um, on mm-hmm. his way to the rim and get and ones you know because I, I just think that that is a that is a weapon that we haven't seen in a little while um, and that also includes him getting out in the fast break uh, and and doing some stuff that way and that's the you know, basically the best, one of the, I was going to say the best, I guess I could make a case for that. The best offensive weapon in NBA history is basically LeBron with the basketball running up the court in, in an odd man type situation. Yeah. 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 You get, you're going to score pretty much every time. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, good luck. You're not going to do anything with that. So what, how, how many, how many times can we see that? What, what is the scenario under which the Bulls um, can try to keep that? low and and I don't know that there is and that's that to me would be with everything else going on I'm just curious to see how LeBron puts his personal impact on the game like I mean the big question on whether or not he can do that to me is the foot right like if he were five six games into his return I'd be like that's absolutely probably what's going to happen um but I think tonight for exactly those reasons will kind of illustrate where he's at physically and so that that part is still unknown to me with the foot thing I agree. Like it's not just the foot too. It's, it's sort of the NBA legs in general, but I, I think that he, if he's playing, he's got enough in the foot to bully ball guys, not, not necessarily just completely sprinting up and down all day in transition. I'm, I'm just saying like using his body, using his size uh, and whether that's, whether it has to be turning and backing down at times, Pete, or whether it's a straight attack off the dribble or whether some of it's in transition, just he's got enough ways to score um, to get into the paint and to do damage if he's back, if he's, if he's playing. So I want to zoom back out for a second um, because one of the ways that the Lakers lost to the Bulls on Sunday was that key 
stretch to start the second quarter where the bench units were sort of mishmashed. Yeah. Right. And Pete, you you talked about this um, both in the aftermath of that first pod after the Bulls Bulls game, and then also talking some about LeBron in yesterday's pod. But the idea that LeBron came off the bench and it sort of like created an environment where he wasn't in during a part of the game where he typically might be in, and that's where and we got the, killed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so one of the things that I'm looking forward to this game is in zooming back out is the re-answering or sort of ability to reanalyze what a rotation looks like with all three of these guys available. Because I think that's one of the things that, um, that has suffered as well with all of these three guys out is that Darwin started to at first remember he was tethering Russell and AD. and AD together a lot. And then he started to stagger them some. And then he started to then play AD with Wenyon a little bit more. And then he found minutes for this three guard rotation. That was, So credit to Darvin, as he's seen more and more of these groups play together, he has found opportunities to get to groupings that are going to succeed over certain stretches of the game. And this is something that's usually happening in the first 15, 20 games of the season. It's, but it's happening twice in the, for us. The, it did happen the first 15, 20, and now it's happening again just because of the roster turnover. Well, also, too, because of the injuries, it's just like, yes. well, you're hoping for 15 or 20 games and then you get 15 or 20 minutes, which <laughs> is exactly what yeah. LeBron, AD, and D'Lo have played together. They've played like 22 minutes together all season. And part of that was a stretch of that first game coming out of the All-Star break where D'Lo then turns his ankle against the Warriors and then right. he's out, right? And, and so in the spirit of trying to figure things out, I think that's a key part of this thing too, Mike, is, is how does... How does Darwin manage the rotation and how does he stagger these guys and what personnel groupings are out there? Because the Bulls specifically, they offer a challenge. And Pete, you mentioned this after Sunday's game, is that most teams get smaller when they go into their second unit, but that's not true with the Bulls. The Bulls are the opposite. They get bigger in their second unit and matching up accordingly Um I'm interested to see whether that happens or who dictates the terms of of engagement in that second quarter, because that was the pivot point for Sunday's game. Yeah, I also want to just emphasize that it's far from ideal to have to go into a high leverage game like this without having answers to the question about how these types of groups play together. Yep. So it, it, it is a real excuse. It's a real excuse. The Lakers can't use it as one, but it is one. It really is not how things should be going um, at this point of the season. But, you know, it's it's kind of it's also because they've had to do it so much. I think they're at least a little bit better at it. And because it's just been oh, how yeah. the whole season is gone. The last and few seasons, a, we're very used to change. Yes. Yeah. So there's there's a there's a part of that to it. I I mean, I'm we haven't talked a lot about AD in this one. And I was doing a, I was doing that same chat on playback uh, with Aaron yesterday and several shout out to all the LFR listeners in there, by the way, how we shouting out Darius and Pete and a lot of the several questions are in there about, well, you know, AD shot attempts. Right. And I went on a little mini rant and basically looked at AD's last four seasons. And guess what? He averages the same exact field goal attempts every season. It's somewhere between 17.1 and like 17.6. 
there are going to be games where they're lower and there are going to be games where they're higher. And, and I think that he's so good that you always want them to be higher. But I did want to kind of kick that back to you after I my my kind of short theory, though, in, in this starting lineup, D'Lo and Austin and LeBron out there and then a low usage guy in Vanderbilt. That's a lot of creation. It's a lot of guys who can get shots up. And mm. it's not it's not the type of group where it was just spam Anthony Davis. And yet there should be parts of this game where they would do that, especially when Vooch is on him. So I, I, I kick this to you now in saying what is the right level um, of Anthony Davis action and activity, given what to expect from this group that we've basically never seen before and against Chicago specific type of defense. So my thought is attack the mismatch. That's something that should be right at the forefront of what we do, because when we've got, I I really think we have four elite pick and roll players in particular between D'Lo, Austin, LeBron, and AD, um, or at least very good in in Austin's case, um, that really it's a matter of, oh, who's the weakest point in this? And when Vucevic is on the floor, it's going to be him. And so that's where the AD, you know, and if they choose to help on that and collapse into the paint, it's going to be wide open type of shots. Uh, I would be curious on the whole stat of, you know, he's averaging the same field goal attempts that he always has. And it's at a highest, uh, the highest efficiency of his career. The one thing I would, I would love to see a breakdown of how many shot attempts he's gotten when LeBron's out versus when LeBron plays, because that's been normally, and I don't think it's like directly on LeBron, at, at least, at least not entirely. Right. Um, that that's the case, but that's been the times when I've seen a lot of the eight shot attempt type of nights, Mike. So that's, I I think that that's a a big part of it, but curious where you're at on that D. I've made that same point about the point that you just made about LeBron, but I've made it with D'Lo as well, right? Mm -hmm. That once you add a usage guard back into the mix, then the way that this offense is structured, it's not necessarily built to go directly to AD. It's more as a way to use AD's gravity and yeah. the attention that he draws in order to open up actions for the perimeter players. And that's One why he's, the, and that's just real quick, that's why he's rolling into the paint a lot of times, even when it's that packed paint. It's like, oh, that's a good thing. You're occupying all these defenders. Totally. And so, look, one of the things, and Mike, maybe this is something that we could ask around internally to see if we can get some stats on this, but I'd be super interested to know in games the Lakers win what AD's production looks like in first quarters, because there are games where I just feel like, oh, here's AD, 14 point first quarter, mm-hmm. like, right? Like he's five for six from from the field and has drawn three shooting fouls. It, it's like, those are the games where even if he doesn't go for 40, right, where he's consistently getting you that prediction every single quarter. I like these games where where the Lakers sort of try to feature AD early or that he is clearly a part of of the early game plan. And and so the the idea, Pete, of like, okay, well, D'Lo's back or LeBron is back. I actually like the idea of Austin being a connecting player in the starting yes and then being more of a more ball ball handling player on bench groups yep he's the he's one of the he's one of the guys who has that ability to morph between roles D'Lo can do this as well because of his off ball work but 
Mike, that's where I think Austin's value is going to be important as like this second side player or a guy who is going to make the first swing out of a swing swing where it's just like if the ball is being played through the bigger players, through LeBron and through AD in the post and like Pete said, attack the mismatch. The mismatches are... LeBron James is being guarded by a guy who is three inches shorter than him and who he has 50 pounds on. Right. And the mismatch is going to be Anthony Davis against Vucevic. And so if you're playing through those those players and they get post touches, the Bulls are going to collapse. They're going to shade in their direction. And in some cases, they're just going to send a double team. And when that happens, Kicking the ball out and having a connecting player like Austin, who is in the middle of that frame and is then making a decision on do I do I shoot here? Do I drive it here or do I swing it here? That decision tree in his and putting that in his hands, I think that's where he adds a lot of value to this first group. We had a very passionate conversation yesterday over text about what actually provides spacing and on the floor on offense. And to me, it's that, D, that, idea, that shoot, pass, dribble, where when the ball gets swung to you, can you shoot the catch and shoot three? But if somebody comes out to you, can you put the ball on the deck and then still score and go all the way to the basket? Can you pull up from mid-range? Can you dish it off? Are you a good passer? And so that's that to me, Mike, is why the it I don't mean to turn attention to to Beasley again, but like when you only do one of those things, the off-ball work, it's it's less you provide less spacing than you would think if even though you're a really great shooter. Beasley and Austin, I want to get a thought on and then get back to AD for something before I forget. But with Remember the game where uh, like Austin and we were talking about this is in the group thread. We may I can't remember if we mentioned it on the podcast or not, but basically the ball got swung around to Austin and he didn't take the shot. And then Beasley yes. came in and the ball got swung around to him and he did take the shot and it goes in. And, and that first kind of understanding of, oh, wait, that's why this works. You know, Austin has to take that shot. Austin has to be a little bit more aggressive in this in this sense. And then some of the injuries happen and Austin goes to this other level. Um, as a playmaker and as a scorer and so on. And now he's back in the lineup and I'm thinking we saw we've seen we've seen a big sample size now of the of the other aspects of Beasley's game or kind of lack thereof where if teams are playing him hot in order like basically he's going to come off shooting then if he if he doesn't have the shot he'll either force it or start putting the ball on the floor and it's probably not getting in the hands of the big man um, to, to bring AD back in. Well with Austin so you have the risk that he that maybe he's not going to shoot that initial right. shot, but if he puts the ball on the floor, there's a much better chance when he's kind of exactly. going in against a weakened defense in the middle of the lane that he's either going to score or maybe he'll get the, get the ball back to Anthony Davis or whatever that that situation is. And the math I think ends up favoring what Austin can do, uh, at least from what we've seen so far. Although that has not always come with the, with the balance of LeBron or Russell on the other side of the floor, so. That's that's something I think to closely watch on, but I'm I'm persuaded and certainly by some what the stats have been recently um, in in the way that Austin plays working. Ad, we're we're just discussing kind of like all right, well, what can you expect from Anthony Davis when he enters a game, and how aggressive is he going to be, and can he? What if he gets going a lot in the first quarter? I've my my non scientific view of this is that when Ad is is particularly in the mood, then he just goes off. 
it doesn't necessarily matter yeah. what the defense is doing or how they're being played or if I don't think the game plan changes. I don't this to me is not a this is not a team that comes in with certain with like certain set plays where AD is going to get the ball in this spot and we're really going to spam that and go to it. It's much more of a take what the defense is giving you. But when AD can can eviscerate that if he really wants to um, and if he really decides to and I know again that would have to we'd have to go back game by game and look at it but that's just how it feels um, watching Anthony Davis play and tonight what which one are we going to see you don't need to have that one if you've got Austin and D'Lo and LeBron in the lineup but it'd certainly be nice to see it oh I think they need it I think every single night Mike like AD is with LeBron and on any given night it's between him, him and LeBron. He's the best player, right? And so, like, I get the idea that he can be a complimentary player. And I've talked a lot about how, in a lot of ways, it's in AD's nature to be a cog in the machine rather than to be the driver of the machine. I bring this up a lot, but he dominated the national championship game when he was a college freshman and he did it by defending the paint and getting every rebound available. Right. It's that the fact that he can dominate in a multitude of areas of the game that aren't related to each other. That's unusual, even amongst a lot of of star players. That's Darius. That's part of what I was saying, though, is that if like he if he's going to be in that mood defensively, then you don't always need it offensively. It's great if he does it. And he I just talked to AD about that because I was like, wait. Didn't you block a lot of? Sh- he was like, he was like, look, man, I blocked like sixty shots in that turn. And he, and he did. Like, go back and look at he the was game log. Incredible. It was like seven, six, yeah. five, seven. Doc, he was the last player that Doctor Bus watched and was like. Oh, we got to get that guy. Jeannie t- has told a story about this where like Dr. Buss, who just had that eye, right? Not that you needed, you know, to be <laughs> you sure. know, brilliant to yes. know that AD was incredible, but like he was a guy that took Dr. Buss's breath away and he was, he was the last guy to do that. So I'm looking for AD to come out. Look, Chicago boy in Chicago, maybe he got some home cooking yesterday, right? Like... Who knows? But I'm looking for this dude to have a big game. Like for all the talk about what LeBron can do and mismatches and welcome back D'Lo and second side action. And there's Austin Reeves right in the middle of the like. Yeah, I'd like to throw the ball to Anthony Davis a little bit. I'd also like to see like Rui get his way back into the rotation. But I, I may have to go one for two this game. Right. And so if it is one for two, then give me the AD part of the yes, equation, sir. because I think that. If the Lakers are going to go where they want to go this season, it's not going to be because their guards are leading them that way. It's going to be because LeBron and Anthony Davis are the backbone of what this team wants to be. And you don't get that with just AD being the guy who's just dominating defensively. You need that offensive push as well. The guy who's a 25 and 14 dude, which are basically his averages this season. If that guy's here every single night, you're going to win a lot of basketball games, especially when you have LeBron and and then all of the perimeter support that he's got with with a healthy Lakers for us. Amen. Big game tonight we'll be back tomorrow to discuss it before we go just wanted to give a quick shout out to kyle goon who's leaving the lakers beat after i think five years kyle i thought did a great job of covering the team in in good faith and worked hard and just had a level of curiosity about things that i always respected so happy trails to to kyle uh thanks for the the good work that you did man um and yeah 
if you want to jump in. That's right. We'll miss you, man. We'll miss you. We'll yeah, see you in the next Kyle Goo. So I'll do it in my best Andre Drummond voice since today the Lakers face Andre Drummond. Kyle Goon. That's right. Shout out to Kyle. That's right. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. Talk about how the game went. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.